Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. As we continue in our Healer of Hearts series today, we will be looking at how God can heal our bitterness. Bitterness can destroy our relationships with one another and our relationship with God. In order for God to heal our bitterness, we need to evaluate all of our relationships and be willing to forgive. We encourage you to open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4 and follow along with Pastor Roy. I just want to say a special welcome to those who may be listening by live web stream today uh, because we've got a lot of our people home, I'm sure. So welcome to our Bethesda broadcast and I hope it's working well and you're able to hear and take it in. And I also want to say a special welcome, we don't do this very often, to our radio listeners uh, because we do broadcast one week delayed on the radio. And so we welcome you as well as a part of our, our service. And I welcome each of you who made it through the snow this morning uh, as well. Today we're continuing our series. Uh, We've been talking about healer of hearts. And today we're talking about how God heals our bitterness. Uh, This is down to where our shoe leather hits the road. Because we all deal with hurts, habits, hang-ups in our life. And God is the only one who can heal those hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And if you would, I want you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 31 and 32. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Paul writes this letter to the Ephesian believers, and he admonishes them to get rid of six vices and to embrace three virtues. He says, beginning in verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Paul, in writing this letter, The first three chapters are primarily doctrine. He talks about who we are in Christ and the fact that we were dead in trespasses and sins and God has raised us to new life and he is our peace. He's made peace through the blood of his cross. And so really what Paul is encouraging us to do is take off the grave clothes and put on the wedding clothes. Take off the grave clothes and put on the wedding clothes. Because if we go back to chapter 2 for just a moment and look in verse 1, what does Paul say? And as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. You were dead, he says. And he tells us again, even in Ephesians 5, 8, for you were once darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. He says down in chapter 5, verse 14, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Take off the grave clothes of the old life and put on the wedding clothes of righteousness. Because when we get to chapter 5, Paul is talking about marriage, that believers in Christ are married to Christ. There's a union, and there's a big difference between grave clothes and wedding clothes. 
What you wear to a funeral and what you wear to a wedding are often very different. And it should be true in the life of a believer who is in Christ. And he's telling us the grave clothes are those clothes that compose ourselves of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, every form of malice, that's the grave clothes of the past. We are to discard those. He says, get rid of those. Now, when you get rid of objects at home, you just kind of discard them and throw them in the trash. But it's interesting here, Paul says to get rid of these, and they're not objects, they're emotions. How do we get rid of these emotions that are so destructive in our life and in relationships? And we're going to talk about how we get rid of them. So really, it doesn't make sense almost saying, talking about get rid of emotions. But really, what he's saying is this, to cease completely from being bitter. To cease completely from being angry. To cease completely from being full of rage. To cease completely from brawling and slander and malice. Cease completely. Here he talks about bitterness being embittered and, resent, and a resentful spirit which refuses reconciliation. You see, a bitter person has no concept or no understanding of forgiveness. And embracing the forgiveness that God has toward us so that we can forgive others. And yet that's what God has called us to do. Some people who have been stung in a relationship have hung on to that bitterness for 10, 20, 30 years and they've never let it go. And they live in resentment. That is not God's way. Rage and anger. He goes on to say that we need to get rid of rage and anger, which come out of bitterness when people become angry and full of rage. There's a Latin proverb that says, he who goes angry to bed has the devil for a bedfellow. And I think it's true. The devil, one theologian said, the devil is in full sympathy with a resentful spirit. In other words, he encourages resentment. He wants you to nurse that resentment and that bitterness in your life. And yet God wants us to get rid of it. He says to get rid of slander and brawling, fighting and shouting, uh, slander, abusive speech against someone. Some people go so far as to even telling lies against someone to assassinate their character. That's slander. Every form of malice to no longer hate at all. And then he says we are to put on these three virtues. Kindness. It means to do people good. No longer hate them. Be helpful to them. Compassionate to one another where your heart goes out to someone because you want to help them and you're concerned about them. That's compassion. You reach out to them in love. Your heart goes out to them. You're no longer harsh and bitter. And then forgiveness where you release them and you don't hold them in bondage. And so that's what he has for us today. If we do not deal with our hurts in the right way, we will become bitter people. We absolutely will. And I don't know if you've ever been around a bitter person, but they are very difficult to live with. Because what you have to do is you have to walk on eggshells. Because they have demands. They have expectations. They have requests that are about impossible to fulfill. And if you don't meet their requests and demands and expectations, they become angry and bitter, and that's how they try to manipulate and control people. And that can happen in a family. It can happen on a sports team. 
It can happen in a church. And that's why many people will leave churches and go to this church and, until somebody hurts them, and then they leave that church, and, they, and they're looking for this perfect church, and there isn't one because we're in it, and we're not perfect. And so there isn't one. Bitter people can cause great turmoil in all those areas. It could cause great turmoil in a marriage as well when a spouse has to walk on eggshells because their spouse becomes bitter. It's a very difficult thing. So here's what we need to do. Step six is the evaluation step. We need to evaluate all of our relationships, offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me, and make amends for harm I have done to others, except when to do so would cause harm to them or others. I mean, if it's something that happened 40 years ago and it's your parents, you probably don't want to go to them when they're in their 80s or 90s and say, 40 years ago, you, you seek forgiveness with the Lord. You'll probably do more harm and damage than you would help in those kind of situations. So you need to really pray and ask God, what would he have you do? But here's the challenge to get rid of the grave clothes and to put on the wedding clothes the clothes of righteousness that God would have us wear. There are two parts in this step. First, we forgive those who have hurt us, and second, we make amends to those we've hurt. How do we do it, and why do we do it? I'm to forgive those who have hurt me. Three reasons we should forgive those who have hurt us. Number one, because God has forgiven me. Notice he says in verse 32, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. How much has God forgiven me? He's forgiven me all of my sin. He doesn't hold anything against me anymore. He's not going to ask me to forgive somebody else more than he's already forgiven me. He's not going to ask you to forgive somebody else more than he's already forgiven you. When we understand forgiveness, when a person understands forgiveness, they will not withhold forgiveness if you've experienced forgiveness. The person who has trouble forgiving is the person who does not feel forgiven. That's right. When we feel the forgiveness of God and we've experienced the forgiveness of God, the forgiveness of God is going to flow through us to somebody else. It absolutely will. That's why he says in Colossians 3.13, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. When I remember how much God has forgiven me. Secondly, we forgive too because resentment doesn't work. Think about that. Resentment does not work. Resentment is unreasonable, it's unhelpful, and it's unhealthy. Resentment is foolish and illogical. It causes people to do stupid things when they become resentful. See, a person who begins to resent and become bitter, it's like drinking poison and you wait for the other person to die. But you're the one who's drunk the poison. You're not hurting the other person, you're hurting yourself. You don't hurt them at all. 
It's unhelpful because you hurt yourself more than anybody else when you become resentful and angry and you're resentful towards somebody else. It doesn't bother them because they're not holding anything against you. It bothers you. And some people have hung on to a resentment for years and years and years, and they're miserable. Here's the thing about resentment. Resentment cannot change the past. No matter how hard you want to, resentment cannot change the past. It cannot correct the problem, and it does not change the other person. So therefore, when you become resentful, it only hurts you and makes you miserable and unhappy. In Job chapter 21, verses 23 to 25, I'll just paraphrase it. He says, some men stay healthy till they die. Others have no happiness at all. They live and die with bitter hearts. Holding on to resentment, I said, makes us unhealthy. Research has shown that the most unhealthy emotion is resentment. It's like cancer. It eats you alive. It has physical consequences. Have you ever heard someone say, that guy's a pain in the neck? Well, literally, he may be a pain in your neck if you have resentment in your life toward that individual. It could be a former boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, teacher who embarrassed you in school or parent who never told you they loved you or a person that dropped you when you were dating, never said anything to you. And that can cause an incredible emotional suicide in you if you don't deal with it. Thirdly, we forgive because I will need forgiveness in the future. We're not perfect people. We're going to need forgiveness in the future. It says in Mark eleven twenty five. here's what it says. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. That is not an easy verse. It's a verse to wrestle with. But what I get out of it, at least to this point in my understanding is the reason I can forgive somebody else is because I've been a recipient of God's forgiveness. If I've been a genuine recipient of God's forgiveness, then I can forgive someone else. If I have not been a genuine recipient of God's forgiveness, then it's going to be very difficult for me to forgive somebody else. I think that's what he's telling us. Resentment blocks feeling God's forgiveness in our life. What does the Lord's Prayer say? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We forgive other people because God has forgiven us. Because resentment doesn't work. And we're going to need forgiveness in the future. It's a two-way street, forgiveness. And we don't want to burn the bridge that we can walk across to be reconciled to someone else. Don't burn the bridge. How do I forgive those who have hurt me? Because this is where we are. If we've been hurt, how do, we, how do we forgive them? Number one, I reveal my hurt. I admit it. I face it. I'm honest about it. 
because I cannot get over it until I acknowledge it. And so I have to be willing to do that. It is not an easy step. It's very hard sometimes to admit when we've been hurt by somebody. I'm reminded of a lady who came in to a counselor and she said, I forgive my parents, they did the best they could. But the more the counselor talked to this woman, the more he realized she had not forgiven her parents at all. She was saying it, but she did not actually do it. And so it's important that we come to that point. And it can be true that we have been genuinely hurt and what the person did was genuinely, genuinely wrong but we still forgive. It's not, forgiveness is not saying what the other person did is okay. Because what they did may not have been okay, but I choose to forgive anyhow based on the forgiveness of God toward me. We have some options when it comes to hurt, but most of them aren't very good. You can repress it. You can pretend it doesn't exist. Ignore it. Push it out of the way but it's going to pop up in another compulsion in your life. You can suppress it. Well, it's no big deal. It doesn't matter. They did the best they could, but it still hurt. You confess it and admit it. Some people would like to close the door on their past and get closure from the person who hurt them. And I would say that's a good thing to do, but you cannot have closure without disclosure, where you admit it. I would suggest making a list of those who have hurt you. How did they specifically hurt you? Who are you holding a grudge against or seeking revenge from? Can you think of anyone you need to make amends to? Who have you been critical of or gossiped about? What causes you to lose your temper? To whom have you been sarcastic to in the past? Is there anyone in your family that you have mistreated, that you have verbally or emotionally abused with your words and your behavior? Is there a family secret you've been denying? If you've abused alcohol or drugs or food, how did they negatively affect your body? Those are serious things that we need to consider. So reveal our hurt. Secondly, release the offender. How do we do that? We stop hanging on to the hurt. How do I do that? How do I release the offender? By forgiving them. By forgiving them. You don't wait for them to ask for forgiveness. You do whether they ask for it or not. Because you're doing it for your sake and not theirs. God has forgiven you and therefore you're willing to forgive them. How often do I need to forgive? Jesus addressed that in his Gospels. Jesus was asked, how many times do I need to forgive my brother when he sins against me? Jesus answered not seven times, but 70 times seven. So then you get up there, oh, that's 490. I've done 488, 489, you're done. 
No, no. He's saying as often as you need to forgive, you need to forgive. You don't count because they thought it was seven because in the Jews' mind it was three and then they did it times two plus one. Thought, well, that would be enough. No. How do we know when we have released the offender fully? How do we know when I've released an offender fully? When we can think about them and it doesn't hurt anymore. That's how I know I've released them fully. When I can pray a prayer of God's blessing over their life, I know I've forgiven them. When I can begin to look at understanding their hurt rather than focusing on how I hurt because hurt people hurt people. In releasing an offender, I said it's not always possible or even advisable to go back to somebody who's hurt you because sometimes circumstances change for people. Some people have gotten married or remarried or people have died or moved away and you don't know where they are. And so there are some situations where it's probably best to leave that between them and God, but you deal with that. And you can get alone with God and you can get an empty chair and you can pretend they're in that chair and you can talk to them about the hurt. Now that's not silly. It's dealing with it in a, in a way that would be tangible if that works for you and saying, you hurt me in this way but I'm choosing to forgive you. Or you can write a letter and not mail that letter, but listing the ways that person hurts you and deal with that between you and God in a way that there's no more bondage. I think one of the greatest hindrances to revival in the church is bitterness. I really believe that. I believe it is something that has stifled the church more than anything else where people hold things against one another, they don't talk to one another, and it's hurt the bride of Christ in a big way. Thirdly, I can replace my hurt with God's peace. Replace my hurt with God's peace. I need to also make amends to those I have hurt as well. Not only have I been hurt by others, but I too have hurt other people, and I need to make amends to those I have hurt. Why do I need to do that? Because unresolved relationships are the root of many people's problems, and they prevent recovery and healing. Unresolved relationships cause many people's problems. And that's why they go to drinking or drugging. You see, the real person's problem is not the drugs or the alcohol or the immoral behavior. It's something much deeper that's driving them to that. It's guilt. It's resentment. It's not wanting to deal with reality. And it's it's masking the pain. But the real pain in their life is not the drugs or the alcohol. The root cause is often something like guilt, resentment, unresolved conflict, and we use those things to mask it. That's why we have such a horrendous problem in our world with those issues. 
we have to take off the grave clothes and put on the wedding clothes as Christians. Here's what the author of Hebrews says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And notice what it does to relationships, and by it many become defiled. It hinders relationships. It causes serious problems. We cannot have a Christ-honoring life if we're not willing to try to resolve the relationship. And it takes two sides coming together to be willing to do that. You can do everything you can, but if the other person is not willing to respond, then it's between them and God. We only are responsible for our side. That's all God holds us accountable for. How do I make amends to the people who I have hurt? How do I do that? A couple things. One, make a list of those I've hurt and what I have done. Is there anyone I owe a debt to that I haven't repaid? Is there anyone I've broken a promise to? Is there anyone I'm guilty of over-controlling in my life that I want to control them all the time and tell them what they need to do and what they should do and where they should be and how they should act? That's not my responsibility. With a spouse even or a child or a brother or a friend? Is there anyone I'm overly possessive of? Is there anyone I'm hypercritical of? That every little thing they do, oh, did you see that? Oh, did you hear that? Did you see what they said? Did you hear what they said? Did you see what they did? Have I been verbally abusive to anyone or emotionally abusive? Have I been unfaithful to anyone? Have I lied to anyone? Make a list of those you hurt and how you hurt them. Secondly, think of how I'd like someone to make amends to me. If somebody hurts me, how do I want them to approach me? In public? <laughs> I don't think so. I think privately. I think humbly. I think in the spirit of God, in the spirit of reconciliation, in the spirit of forgiveness. I want somebody to approach, in the spirit of grace, I want them to forgive me. And if that's how I want them to approach me, then that's how I need to approach them. In Luke 6.31, it says, Do to others as you have them do to you. So it needs to be the right time. Time is important when you do it. Don't call them at midnight and say, Hey, you got a couple minutes? <laughs> They're half asleep and... Um, there's a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. The time is important, that it's a good time, that it fits, that you've got time to deal with it and you're not rushed and you can deal with it. Secondly is attitude. Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. You see, when you and I take off the grave clothes and we put on the wedding clothes, we begin to represent Christ to the world. Think about the testimony. I'll never forget what the school administrator said, uh, who is here in the public school. Uh, a few years ago, we were in a meeting, 
He was talking about the kids, and he says the only thing these kids know is resentment. They don't understand forgiveness at all when there's a conflict. And I thought, my, how true that is with people. All they know is resentment. They don't understand forgiveness. And yet that is the way. And you know what happens when we choose to forgive? We become imitators of God. Notice what it says in chapter 5, verse 1. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That is the beauty of forgiveness. We begin to live a life of love. We imitate God when we forgive. That's putting on the wedding clothes that God wants us to wear and taking off the grave clothes that God wants us to get rid of. And then thirdly, is it appropriate? Proverbs says, Thoughtless words can wound as deeply as any sword, but wisely spoken words can heal. Romans 12, 18 says, If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all with all. The third thing we do then is we refocus our life. We refocus on start doing God's will today in my relationships. What is God's will for me in this relationship? I would like us to bow our heads and close our eyes. This is a heavy topic because this gets down to the shoe leather and where we live, where we interact with other people. Is there someone that has hurt you? Have you acknowledged that hurt? Have you been willing to go to that person and talk to them about that hurt? Is there someone that you've hurt that you need to go to and talk to them to make amends? This will hinder your spiritual life more than anything else. When you harbor resentment, you hold a grudge, you live in bitterness, it'll affect every other relationship you have. And that's why many people have a path of destructive relationships or a path of destructive, compulsive behavior because they've not dealt with that resentment, that hurt, and they've become very bitter people. And Christians are supposed to be known for the joy. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. We are to be characterized as joy, joyful people, as forgiven people, and forgiving people. Is there someone that you need to forgive who has hurt you and you're willing to forgive them? Is there someone you need to go to and ask for forgiveness for, for something you've said or done? Evaluation is the key to evaluate all our relationships Offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me and make amends for harm 
I've done to others, except when to do so would harm them or others. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the greatest resentment in your heart is you are resenting the truth. You are rejecting the truth that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin and shed his blood. And if you're not in a right relationship with God vertically, it's impossible for you to be in right relationship with other people horizontally. This relationship with God vertically has to be right first, and that calibrates every other relationship in our life. Today will not be the last day you've been hurt by somebody or that I've been hurt by somebody, or that I probably will hurt somebody else. But God has offered a solution that we take off the grave clothes and we put on the wedding clothes to do that. If you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, this is your opportunity to invite the Lord Jesus Christ into your life. Say, God, I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin and shed his blood, that I could be forgiven. Would you receive the forgiveness of God? You don't deserve it, and neither do I, but he gives it freely. You are here this morning under the sound of my voice, and I know the Holy Spirit is faithful to speak to you if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you are a Christian, but there is somebody you're at odds with. And this is your opportunity to evaluate and ask God to give you the courage and the ability to forgive. And you may have to do that over and over. Ask God to help you as those memories come back because it can be very painful. But God is able to do that. Would you give it to him? Would you release the offender for your sake? for the sake of the gospel. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMD.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.